when you come out of a failed business, your confidence is at an all-time low. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Neville Samuels from Virtual Staff 365. This is his third company. Hi, Neville. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here. Just to start our conversation off, can you tell us about Virtual Staff 365? What's the change you want to make? Or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver? And who do you hope to help? We are a business that helps Australian businesses to navigate the journey of finding talented staff offshore, mainly in the Philippines, and we help them not only to find good people, but to actually work with them in the long term. What are we trying to achieve? Over a period of time, I've realized that what I really like to do is connect people. And this actually started well before Virtual Staff 365. It was actually about mates calling me up and saying, Neville, do you know someone that can do this? Or do you know a good lawyer? Or do you know someone that's looking for a job? And I got a lot of pleasure out of connecting people. This is a bit of an extension of that, but taken to the point of it's my business, it's my seven days a week life. And at the same time, I love educating our clients on how businesses in Australia can work really, really well with people offshore. And it's really coming from a place where in my past, I was a user of people offshore in terms of I was employing people uh, to work in a previous business and all my mates around me had their own businesses. They knew that I worked with people offshore, but they had no idea how I did it. And I realized that on the one hand, I realized there was a gap in the market, but I realized that a lot of people didn't know how to do it. It was quite, uh, there there was a, I don't want to make it sound exotic, like there was a mystique to it, but there was a, it was a bit of a black box. It was an unknown. People would say, oh, once I explained to people what they do, they'd say, oh no, I, I can't do that. It was too out of the box. It was offshore. It was remote. It was distant. I love talking to people about what we do and what works, but I also like talking about what doesn't work because it's not a cure-all for every business issue or every resource problem or every business that's looking for people. So I kind of see that as my journey. That's great. Excellent. I'm assuming the the business that you alluded to in that last answer is Retail Splash. So can you tell us a little bit about just some context on Retail Splash and how your experience with that business has inspired you to start Virtual Staff 365? I'll actually go back one step before before Retail Splash. I'm a chartered accountant by profession, and in 2005, I took the plunge and I bought my own business. So I bought a small little business that sends text messages from a computer. Three years later, I sold the business to a consolidator of marketing companies, and they went bust about 10 months after that. It was a great story because in that time, I discovered that I, as an accountant, was actually really lousy and that I'm far better at customer service, dealing with people, uh, solving problems. And a lot of them were people problems or even in the case of the SMS business, they were even tech problems, but it it was always about people and dealing with people. After I sold that business, I had to work for them for a year 
And at the end of that time, the business that took over the consolidated company, because they went, they went bust, they were a listed company called Conquest. They went bust and a company called Co-Investor took over. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Roger Sharp and Roger said to me, stay on and help us grow your business because it's a fantastic business. And it was, and we might discuss that a little bit later, but I decided I want to go do something else. I wanted to prove to myself that I could uh, recreate the same success I had with the SMS business. And together with a business partner, we went and we bought a small business that we turned into Retail Splash. It's a small e-commerce business selling things on eBay. Our vision was to turn it into a far bigger retail business, online retail business, that wasn't just selling on eBay, but selling everywhere. We did really well for three years, and we took our turnover from about 1.5 to about 10 million. And then three years later, we were out of business. We went bust. It was a disaster. A lot of the reasons why it didn't work out had nothing to do with what I or my business partner did. It had to do with the market. It had to do with the Aussie dollar to the US dollar. And I suppose you could say, well, if that was your shortcoming, you could have, should have prevented that from happening. But there were a lot of things that happened and we put the business into administration at the end of 2015. At that time in that business, it started off where I was answering a whole lot of customer service emails. The eBay buyer is quite suspicious. They think there's a scam going on, but they still want to buy from you in case the deal is real. So uh, not only would these people then buy from us, but then they'd start a series of emails asking us when the product's coming, when's it going to be shipped, a whole lot of those sorts of questions. Uh, and we were selling video games. And the video game consumer is even more customer service hungry because he wants the game yesterday. And that's just because they are super passionate about their product. I was getting 40 to 50 emails every four hours. And my business partner said to me, we're not gonna be able to grow this business if you can't step away from the computer. And I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, you've got to get yourself a virtual staff member. I had no idea what it was. It was a completely new concept to me. It was 2010, so it was a long time ago. We went and we found someone in India. I remember saying to my partner, it's gonna take me a month to train this guy. Don't expect me to be available for the next month. And after two weeks, I went home the one Friday afternoon. This guy had been working for 10 days. I went home to my wife and said, I don't have to answer any emails this weekend. I've got this guy and he can do 80% of it and the worry's gone, the stress is gone. And, and from there, we actually built up teams of people. Uh, we had a product manager in our business he needed to keep track of release dates and all sorts of information. And we said to him, get yourself someone. We'll get you a full-timer to work for you as your personal assistant, but he's offshore. So we had a guy there. And then we, we realized that there was so much we needed to change on our websites. We took on a graphic designer and it actually, it gave us so much more control over our own website because we could create our own marketing banners at will whenever we liked we didn't have to go onto Upwork or Fiverr and try and find someone and you've got three chances to revise and then you're done. You know, we had a full-time guy working for us as a graphic designer and that was fantastic. And we ended up with a team of custom service people who ended up reporting to someone here in Melbourne. She was the custom service manager and it actually worked really, really well. But when we closed down the business, we had these people who we were letting go. And at the same time, I knew that this was a fantastic opportunity for other people to take on my experiences and I could train them and I could help them through the process. I just didn't know where to start. 
where to start in terms of finding customers? Everything. I didn't, I didn't have any customers. My wife was saying to me, you need to go out and get a job. And that's because from her perspective, she wanted to know that there was a fixed income coming in every month to pay the bills. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 48 years old, I think I'm pretty much unemployable. I hadn't worked for anyone else other than myself 10 years. All my wife wanted me to do was go get a job. All I wanted to do was actually start this business and I didn't know where to go. And a couple of things happened and a couple of people were instrumental in pushing me in the right direction. That's great. Thanks for that overview. Just to dive into that a little bit further, you ended your comments there with pushed you in the right direction. Just for our listeners' perspective, what were the the right directions that you then moved into? I didn't really know which direction to go in because when you come out of a failed business, your confidence is at an all-time low. Your partner is not really willing to help you go on to the next venture because all they want are the bills to be paid. My wife does not have grand design. She's not looking to conquer the world. She has very simple needs in the scheme of things. She just wants the bills to be paid, food on the table, and the kids to be happy. So she said to me, go out and get a job. And a couple of things happened. The one is, I remember I had a cup of coffee with an ex-client of my SMS business. And he sat down and he said, what are you gonna do? And I said to him, I wanna start this offshore business this business of employing people in the Philippines. And he said, so what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? He said, get off your bum, get on a plane, go to the Philippines and get this thing started. And I went home to Jody and I said, I had a cup of coffee with this guy, Philip, and and Philip said, this is what I got to do. And he's actually right. And she said, well, how do you think you're going to pay for that? Right? Because as far as she was concerned, we had no money and she wasn't going to let me touch any money we did have. I said, well, I'm going to put it on the credit card and it's going to take some time to pay off. But This is what I've got to do to get it started. So that was the one thing. The other thing is I actually did go out and get a job. I did start working for someone else and I worked there three days a week and two days a week trying to get it started and started knocking on doors. And that was the beginning. I didn't have one client. Right. Well, and six years later, you're still in business. So something must have worked. Yeah, I mean, I often think it's luck, right? I think, gee, I'm just, what a lucky guy. I mean, I've been able to build another business right? That's not huge, right? It's another business and it's six, it's, uh, we now, tw- end of 2022, I started this in 2016, so it's, uh, it's almost seven years. You know, sometimes people say you make your own luck. Uh, I think there's a bit of both. It could just be you're talking to someone at the right time. That's lucky. The, the guy that I spoke to that said to me, get off your bum and go to the Philippines, he didn't become a client very quickly because he couldn't understand this concept of working remotely. But he was a great supporter of mine. In the middle of COVID, he calls me up and said, I understand what you do now, because now we're working from home. I think you can come and help us. I have no doubt that COVID has significantly impacted your business in that it it enabled people to understand the proposition so much clearer. Well, that's right. It's demystified remote work. And when people, and I've had people call us up and say, my staff won't come into the office. So if they're going to work from home, what's the difference whether they're working in Marambina or in Manila. So so that's where I guess we've been lucky. Congratulations. And I agree. I think a lot of it is capturing the luck. You don't create the luck, but you've got to be there to, to leverage it when it occurs. Just looking back over your years as a business owner across three businesses now, what are you most proud of and why? There are a few things. There's never just one thing that I can be most proud of. Being able to pick myself up after really failing really going home to my wife and saying, the business is finished. 
And we were lucky in the context of things. We didn't lose our house. We weren't bankrupted personally, but we were down and out. I mean, we were, we had no idea where the next meal was going to get paid for. I don't make it sound like we were on the street because we still had our house. But my wife just stopped the spending altogether and we built up from a zero base. That's probably the one thing I'm most proud of. The, the, the other thing I'm extremely proud of is going out and doing something again. You know, I could have gone and got a job and just stayed in it. I'm proud of that. I'm equally proud of having made that jump from working as an accountant on a job for a company in Melbourne, working for someone else and going out and doing my own thing. So there are, there are a lot of things that I'm really proud of. And at the same time, I sometimes look at other people and I want to shake them and say, why don't you do this? Why don't you get off your bum and go and do it? And a good mate of mine always says to me, not everyone has the constitutional makeup to either work for themselves or to pick up the phone and try and make sales. I've realized I can do that. Maybe that's my secret sauce. It's a great insight that you can leverage to, well, to drive yourself forward. I often think there are two types of founders. There's the, the technical founder who likes to stay on the tools and remain attached to that part of the business versus the, the business development sales-focused founder who, whose drive is to continue to push the business to growth. Just to follow on that, because I think it's a really good segue, you've, you've talked about some of the hardship and challenges you've had, and really, I think running small to medium-sized business requires a resilience I think you've identified or talked about that already. But how have you continued to develop and work on that muscle to drive changes in your role and your business? And what do you do every day to remain resilient? I struggle. I struggle. I struggle because uh, the business is continually changing. And as it continually changes, my role is continually changing. And I find that very hard. I find it very easy to sit in front of my computer and just answer my emails and then say, I've done my job for the day. It's easy, that's the comfort zone, right? We get caught up in our emails and, and our inbox drives us. And I struggle and I recognize I've got to pull myself away from that. And as the CEO of the business, I have to provide leadership to the people around me. There are some things that I do subconsciously and there's some things that I do consciously. The one thing is I work with a business coach. I need someone to keep me accountable. And even though I feel I work for the private school and I work for the tax office and I work for my wife, I also have to be accountable to someone else that has to look at the numbers or look at the performance of the business and see how it's going. So I have a business coach. It's expensive, but I think it's really worthwhile. I also have people around me, friends, people around me who are way smarter than I am. And I pick their brains. I talk to them about the problems I'm having within the business and I get their input. And these guys are overachievers. I think of myself as a, <laughs> some context as an underachiever. I should be doing so much more. I know there's so much more that I should be doing and I don't do it. So I'm my own worst enemy in that way. These guys are overachievers. And I talk to them and I meet them for breakfast. And I say to my wife, I'm going out for breakfast with this one or that one. And she says to me, you, you just go out for coffee all the time and you have breakfast. And she doesn't actually realize, and, and she's coming around, that in a lot of cases we talk about the things that are bothering us or the things that concern us. And because I have these people around me that are way smarter than me, I use them as mentors. I use them to help me. And that's the subconscious part. And I say that subconscious because they're, they're mates of mine. But I do pick their brains. 
I've also, my business coach has actually got me started to, started reading, uh, reading a lot of books. Uh, books that challenge me, books that give me new ideas, books that, in a lot of cases, they're classic business books that I've never heard of before. And then I read it and I think, why aren't I doing that? Like, what a good idea. There's a lot of help out there. There are a lot of books that we can read that can help us propel our businesses forward. And there are a lot of people, I actually find people are very giving of their time. People are very generous of their time. While we say we're all time pressured, I think people around us, certainly my friends, are very helpful and I can pick up the phone and phone people that I know at a bit of a, can we meet for a coffee? I've got a problem. I'd like to pick your brain. I think there are a lot of resources out there. Uh, you don't have to pay for much. It can cost a $5 cup of coffee. I do that. Double clicking on your book reading and I also had went through the same sort of epiphany. In fact, well, now coming up two years ago, I decided that I'd stopped reading some point in my career and started an objective of trying to finish one business book a month and not quite achieved it, but I've, I've, the mountain that I've read in the last two years is probably, well, exponentially more in the last 20 years. Any one or two that you would recommend? The, the one that just blew me away, and I've actually changed the way I work, is the, the Jim Collins classic, Good to Great. Cameron Herald wrote a book called The Vivid Vision, which I've started implementing in my business, which is visualizing the future of your business, what it looks like without any constraints. And he says, take yourself away from technology, get a pen and paper, write down what your business, write down a story of the experience of dealing with your business in three to five years time. He said, and remove technology as a constraint. You can have whatever technology you like. And I've started doing that because it helps me to visualize forward where I need to go. So uh, th those are two uh, good books. I've also enjoyed the Patrick Lencioni series of books where he, he educates by telling a story. It's a fictional story, but it's, there's always a strong message in there. Uh, I've enjoyed those books. And my bedside table is probably about 20 centimeters high with different books that I'm reading at different times. Right now, I'm reading a book called The Challenger Sale. Fair enough. That's great. Excellent. Thinking about Virtual Staff 365, and I know it's only six years old, but I'm sure you've still had your fair share of hurdles and challenges. So what's one change you've made in Virtual Staff that has been impactful in helping you achieve the six years success you've had? I've started to employ people that are better at things than I am. That's a big mind shift for me. It's taken me many years to accept that I can't do everything well. I grew up thinking I could do everything and anything work-wise. It's certainly an immaturity because what happens is you think you can do everything well and of course you don't do anything very well at all. Got to the stage where I've realized and, and when I started Virtual Staff 365, I did everything in the business. I've now employed a head of recruitment here in Melbourne who can do recruitment better than me. I've employed a head of operations and HR who knows how to deal with people better than I do. I'm letting them run with the work it is they've got to do. I'm trying not to get involved. But doing that, it certainly increases the overhead, right? Tremendously, especially in a business like ours, where we're used to finding people that cost a fraction, 20, 30% of what it costs to employ someone here in Australia. I've actually gone counterintuitive on myself, where I'm now employing these people here in Australia instead of employing them offshore. And it's for two reasons. 
One is I've got to have confidence in what they're doing to deal with Australian clients. The other thing is they've got to be better at it than me because if I'm going to do a better job than them, I'm going to be on their back all the time. That's been a, a fundamental shift of Virtual Star 365. I'll go back to the SMS business. The day I sold the business, they started running an ad to find someone to replace me. And then they replaced me and I had to work with this guy and he was way better at it than me. When you're in your business and you know everything, you think you can do everything and you think you're indispensable and no one else can do it as well as you. When you shift that mindset and you start to realize you can employ people to do a better job than you, which frees you up. People talk about freeing you up to do whatever it is you want. I don't want to go out and play golf. I don't want to uh, spend six months in Europe. I want to grow my business. I want to build it into a business that can offer bigger and better things than what we're doing right now. I can only do that if my time is freed up and that's what these guys are letting me do. So that's the biggest change, Rick. That's fantastic. And look, going given you mentioned Jim Collins and Good to Great, in fact, his first thing in developing a business is get the right team on the bus. Don't worry about where the bus is going, which is generally counterintuitive to most of the business books. It's work out where you want to go, then find the right people. Where his is get the right people and you'll, you'll easily know where to go. What I'm realising is I think this business in 10, 15 years' time is going to be very different to what it is now in terms of either the service we offer or where the people are based. It might not be in the Philippines. It might be in Venezuela. Who knows? Things are going to change. If I've got the right people working with me, we're going to be able to turn the bus in any direction we like. So it really does resonate. It's fantastic. Great to hear long-term thinking and a sort of 10 to 15 year vision perspective. Creating systems and processes is one of the most common answers to why a business has been successful over time. First of all, would you agree that adding systems and processes has been impactful to your sustainable success? And assuming it has, could you tell us about a system or process that has had a significant impact on you and what that impact was? I think what happens is as the business grows, you actually have to develop those systems and processes to ensure there's a uniformity of service, if that's a term. Or let's call it a quality of service. When it was just me, everything was in my head, it was fine. And then I'd employ someone and he'd have to feed information to me, but it was just the two of us could have conversations. Then we got a third person and that's when things started to shift and that's when we started to need systems and processes. So systems and processes have definitely helped us. We couldn't run a business. Right now we've got somewhere between 160 and 180 client-based staff, which by the way, Rick, is not a big business in outsourcing terms, but you can't run a business with that amount of people without having systems and processes. What I've actually really enjoyed the most in terms of systems and processes is the power of automation. That for me, has been the game changer. By bringing in automation in our business, we were able to identify things, simple things, without anyone having to do it and without it falling over. So someone goes on leave, the automation still happens. It can be really, really simple things. And there's so many tools out there that we can use to automate. Could you give us an example of some of the automation you're talking about? We want to contact our clients before it's anyone's birthday. And we want to say, it's Jackie's birthday coming up next week. Do you want us to organize a cake for her? Now, we used to do that manually. 
And then I discovered marketing automation. And I didn't discover the marketing automation for marketing. I discovered that we could put triggers in that a week before date of birth, an email would fire off to a client to say, it's Jackie's birthday. And then on Jackie's birthday, they get an email from me wishing them happy birthday. And I get notified of it as well. I get notified the email got sent out. So I can even send Jackie a little a message, an instant message wishing her happy birthday. That's changed things for us. We can build in automation every time someone says, oh, we need to do this or we need to do that. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's a really good example of a system and process for communication. If you think operationally within your business, are there other processes or systems that have been impactful in how you operate? So not necessarily on a communication perspective, but for example, your onboarding process for staff or how you build out an internal communication perspective or something like that. So what we've set up in our automation is a system whereby each staff member is essentially a deal in a CRM and it progresses on a three-month basis and notifies our HR team when someone has reached a three-month anniversary. It's just too hard otherwise to do it. So that, that's something that's happening internally in the background that lets us know when things are happening. Thank you for that example. In creating a sustainable company, a company that has the potential to last decades or even generations, the role of the founder continually changes. And you've talked a little bit about that already, going from one to multiple staff. What's been the most significant change in your role? And do you believe that these are intentional changes, changes that you plan for, or were they driven by specific circumstances? The biggest change is pulling myself away from dealing with the staff our actual client staff and dealing with clients at an operational level. When I say at an operational level, I mean when client has a team of people working for them and I'm not the guy they phone to talk to about an issue, whether they want to give someone a salary increase or someone's not working out. Because I've employed these people here in Melbourne that are our managers and they're dealing with those situations every day, I'm not dealing with it. I'm now one step removed from clients and I'm probably three steps removed from staff. It is by design, but I still struggle with it because at my core, I'd far rather be talking to my clients all the time. But in order to grow the business, I have to step back. So I have to find other ways to connect with my clients. And that's a bit of a challenge. It's a work in progress. And I don't think I've found the answer yet. It's something that I'm working on because... I don't want to be removed from our clients. I want to be in touch with our clients and I want clients to be able to pick up the phone and call me. I want them to have my mobile number in their phone book. They've got a question, they can call me at any time. It's not an uncommon journey for a business owner running a small business. As you grow to a medium business and your number of clients grows, it's harder and harder to build a meaningful relationship with those. And as you grow again to the next level, it gets even harder to have a meaningful relationship with everybody. So it's a challenge we all have to face. It it is a challenge and I actually think I should be putting time aside in my diary to specifically pick up the phone and phone clients. I always like to talk to someone before they start working with our people. As my team have got more confident in the work that they do, they're starting to see that they can take that on and they can have those conversations. 
So they're doing it because they think that's part of their job in terms of helping free up my time. We've still got to work out what the right balance is. It's obviously something that is definitely at the core of who you are and I imagine of the business you want to build. When we started to work out what our vision was and then our values, I struggle with this idea of this vision. I'm not here to create world peace and I can't do it. But what I do do is I help build long-lasting professional relationships through meaningful connections. Instead of a vision, it's a purpose. That's what I like to do. And I'm going to give you an example of something that happened recently that I was talking to my head of HR and said, you know, I think I need to start scoring every time I make a meaningful connection. So someone called us up and they wanted us to find an EA, an executive assistant for one of their directors. I was having a chat to the HR manager and I realized that an offshore resource is not going to be the right person. And I said to this woman who was an HR manager, I said, look, this isn't going to work with one of our people, but I actually know someone in Melbourne who's looking for work. I said, this has got nothing to do with my business. We're not involved. But do you want me to make an introduction? Last week, I discovered that the introduction turned into a job, which was fantastic because, Rick, there's no better thing to do in the world than to give someone a a job, a, a reason to get up in the morning and go to work. So that fits into our purpose, even though it didn't work for the business. And that's absolutely fine. Completely understand. And our purpose is sustainable success and how we create that for us as a group of individuals in the company, as a company as a whole, and obviously for our clients. And it's the same thing. That's the purpose of this podcast is to explore where business owners are creating sustainable success. I think if that's your purpose, uh, you know, if you're successful, your clients are going to be successful as well. But I must tell you an interesting thing about the values. I had no idea about the importance of values within a business. It's been part of the journey of running this business and employing people and employing as many people as we do to actually have values. It took me a long time to get there in terms of understanding it. I now get it. It's a mechanism that if my people, my, and when I say my people, my staff, internally make decisions and they make decisions uh, in line with those values, I can never castigate them for making a wrong decision. I can never reprimand them for screwing up because if they make the decision in line with the values, they'll make the right decision every time. The challenge with values is how do you take them from being something that you stick on a wall to actually something that is impactful from the first hiring of a staff member right through to decision-making and potentially even letting a staff member go because they don't have the values. So can you talk a little bit about how you bring those values out every day? Your, Your point is a good one, and it's especially challenging for a business like ours where we're an intermediary. We're a broker of people. We meet someone and they say they're looking for a certain salary. They don't necessarily understand what the market is paying. So in order for us to work with integrity, uh, which is one of our values, in order for us to work with respect, we have to have respect for these people that are looking for jobs. And one of our values is generosity. We have to look at the salary that they want and say to ourselves, oh, if we give this person the salary they want, 
does it fit in with the market? Because if it doesn't, we're making a mistake for them. We're not doing the right thing for them. And I continually talk to our recruiters and say to them, if someone's presenting at a lower salary, then we know the market is paying. It's up to us to actually increment them up and give them a higher salary. We don't necessarily need to overshoot it, but we need to be generous in the way that we deal with it because it doesn't necessarily make any difference to our client if they're paying an extra 25 cents more in relative terms. On the one hand, we have to deal with this issue of generosity. I, I actually like to surprise and delight. When it comes to my staff, I, I really do. I found it incredibly demeaning when I was working on a job and I'd have to go and ask for a salary increase. Maybe it's a personal thing. I don't ever want people to have to come to me to ask for a salary increase. I wanna beat them to it. And my staff actually know that. I've never had a staff member in this business. And when I say staff member, I am talking about my internal staff that work directly for Virtual Staff 365 and report up to me. I've never had anyone come to me tell me they need more salary. I think it's really important to show people what they're worth. And by doing that, we are actually living our values. It's the same way in which we deal. Respect is something, it's really important when we're dealing with people that are applying for jobs. Also, from an integrity point of view, we're sitting in the middle here. We need our clients to feel like we're doing the right thing for them. And at the same time, we're doing the right thing for the candidates that we're presenting and putting forward. So it's something that touches us every day. That's great. Thank you for that. One final question. Thinking again long-term, and as I said, you mentioned earlier that you're, you're trying to build out a vision for the next 10 to 15 years. What's the next key strategic initiative that you're planning on implementing to continue your success? And what do you hope that that initiative will achieve? I've got about six initiatives right now that I would like to do, but I'm struggling even to get to the one. But I, I do have some initiatives. The one is... I'd like to go deeper into a niche within the outsourcing or offshoring world where we provide not just people, but actually people with a particular knowledge base. It's actually known as KPO as opposed to BPO. BPO is business process outsourcing. KPO is knowledge process outsourcing. I've been thinking about a few different skill sets, but it's not something I can do on my own. I've got to find the right partner to help me because they've got a skill up our people offshore. I'll give you an example, engineering and architectural draftsmen. I think it's an area where there's probably a lot of scope for it. I'd love to partner with someone, build up a small team of engineers offshore that can help people across a range of engineering challenges and, and tasks. Someone might have five drawings, someone else might have 10 drawings. They don't want the person, they just want the drawings done and actually help with them. That's one initiative. And I'd like to actually, I think there must be three or four different skills, let's call it verticals, that we could go into. We're a home-based business. All our staff work from home, which allows us to, while we can't highly concentrated in the Philippines, it actually allows us to extend our wings and go into other regions. I'd love to do that. I'd love to go into South Africa. And I've got a couple of other things as well, but they're things that are percolating and I've got to get them from just an idea into something a little bit more concrete as well. That's great. Thank you for that. 
Just to drill a bit further into that, niching down is often, especially for a small business owner, a scary aspect to consider and, and often the feedback is, but that will mean that I'll have to let go of other work. I'm assuming the drive into the knowledge-based opportunity in specific niche areas is to, is to build specialisation and growth. How have you looked at that or thought about that context of, of what that would do to the rest of your business? I th- don't think it's, it vertically integrates 100%. What I, the, the only way I can do it is to let go. And the only way I can do it is to take on someone who's a specialist in that area and say, right, I'm now going to help you build your business. They've got to go out and find the clients. Or, or maybe I do. I, I'm not sure. About, I haven't worked that out yet. But the back office function will still sit within Virtual Staff 365. So the, the, the recruiting, the managing of the people, the way we manage them, that'll all be done by our recruitment and our operations team, which we've got right now. We, that, nothing changes there. I've got to find a skilled person to essentially be the, the general manager of that business. They have to build that business alongside Virtual Staff 365. So if I understand it correctly, the concept would be essentially it wouldn't be under the Virtual Staff 365 brand. It would be a different brand, but back operations would be leveraging Virtual Staff 365's infrastructure, processes, and resources. That is absolutely the way I've been thinking about it. That's one or two of the next initiatives. I mean, I've got a few initiatives. Some have got nothing to do with revenue. They've got to do with how we can educate our clients and our managers let's call it the point of contacts here in Australia, how can we educate them better to work with people remotely and work with people offshore and help them to be more efficient and get a better outcome? The question wasn't specifically around revenue initiatives. It was meant to be a a broad question. What are you looking at in your business that's going to drive the next level of sustainable success? There's that one that's non-revenue generating at all, but it's an initiative and it's something that we're seriously scoping out at the moment. There's so much that we look at that we'd like to do. I've got to have the right people to do it. If there's anyone listening to this podcast and they think they're the right person, contact me. Shameless plug, Rick. No problem. And I'm sure we'll add your contact details to the show notes so people can do that. No problem. Neville, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It's been great. So thank you for joining us. And I really look forward to watching, well, not only the success of Virtual Staff 365, but your next knowledge project and how that grows out. Thank you.